0: Good morning, everybody. Good Good to see you this morning. Guys, I'm so glad you're here. So happy to see you guys. You guys are awesome. Do you know that? Everybody say, I know. I know. I'm awesome. You are awesome. I'll tell you what. I know we're a little more social distance than usual, but let's have some fun. Turn to somebody. They don't have to be right near you, but just yell at them. You're awesome, dude, and point. Ready, set, go. Just point. There you go right there. We call that social distance love. If you're online, text somebody right now. You're awesome, dude. Poke at them or say it online. We'd love to know that. If you're outdoors, wherever you are, we, uh, we love you guys. So glad that you're here. Guys, God's doing such good things. You know, this weekend, it's been so cool as we are entering a, a, a kind of a we're moving into a post-COVID re-engagement time as we have been for the last several weeks, and it's so cool even today seeing faces that I've not seen in a long time. One of the, uh, one of the cool things about, uh, about this is we're able to re-engage with ministries that, as I've said in the past, have had to kind of take a sabbatical. You guys, I'm just going to say this, okay, as one of the pastors here, trying to restart all of our ministries here is like trying to start a stopped train, and it's like everybody is itching to get through the crossing again. Let's get those guards up, right? And uh, man, it's like that train's restarting. And it's moving slower than we'd like it to. Believe me, I want no, I'm behind the train pushing and uh, trying to get it moving. But I got to tell you, it was so cool today because at our 9 a.m. service for the first weekend, we were able to fully reopen our kids, NP kids over there. Isn't that Amazing. <clears throat> And uh, so, you know, if you know you got folks like, man, they haven't been coming because of kids, make sure the 9 a.m., we want to get that for the 11 a.m., we're going through the process of getting uh, people like you, men and women, who have said, I want to be a part of NP Kids to get that going for the 11 o'clock service. If you want to be on the NP Kids, by the way, it's the best team ever, and it's an amazing team. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that, but we can't wait for that to also happen for our 11 a.m., and I want you to know we are behind the train, and we are what? What? pushing. We are trying to get that going. Now, it's also cool, uh, in addition to all this, there's some cool activity in our world of peace. Peace is an acronym. I'm not going to go through it today, but it's an acronym that we use at North Point around here to talk about how we're going to tackle human needs, what we call global giants. And we use a peace strategy both globally and locally. And it just so happened, and if you think of community service or social services, but doing it God's way, Jesus style, um, that's what we do around here. And so it was so cool to see one of our peace ministries locally, a ministry that for years we have affectionately called Big Heart Ministry. Yay! Amen. I knew you were gonna do that. We call it everybody say, Yay! Here we go. All right. So we call that Big Heart Ministry. It was the coolest thing because uh, they got together. There is a woman. She she's in education, and she has to ch- take a bus one way, two different buses to be able to get to work daily. It would take her an hour, forty to sixty minutes. Okay, the, the two, two, Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, two different buses, and to get to work and you know she's trying to make a living, she's trying to care of it. She hasn't had a vehicle, and so through Peace and Big Heart Ministry, they got together, and through the generosity of people, because how I many you know it's never a mistake to be generous and to give. And through the generosity of people, they got together and they did something cool. You guys want to see it? All right, take a look. Here it is right here. Watch this. Everybody get over here this way. Go this way. You guys too. Gloria, everybody, over here. It's going to take her a bit to process. Who
1: wants to meet her first? Matilda. Matilda. Matilda.
0: Three, one, two, scan, aŒy... Hi! Your eyes and the hate are only by your Māori
2: Oh,
1: thank God oh, I'm speechless. I don't know what to, I'm to,
0: I'm to...
1: I'm to
2: Oh,
1: my gosh. It's I not believe Welcome to your new car. <laughs> my name is Raymond. I'm
0: going to speak for a second. Is that okay? All right. Everyone, my name is Raymond. I'm from North Point Community Church. And we're part of a peace plan, which is a program to help the community in all the ways that we can possible, through word of mouth, through other people, through bold prayers that need to be answered and will be to people that we don't even expect or we've never met sometimes. So on behalf of Big Heart Ministry, North Point Community Church, and your principal, Ms. Badawi, for recommending you and putting your name in and your testimony, we are giving you this car to be blessed with by the Lord. Thank you so much. Can I have Pastor Andrew come up and pray over you with this? Can I give you a high five? There we
1: go. All right, everybody, give everybody a high five. Yeah? Mm -hmm.
0: Air five. Give each other a high five. Ready, say, go. Come on, come on. Give somebody next to you a high five. There we go. Anyway, let's hear for Jesus, guys. Isn't that amazing? God's so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Matilda. Bless her in the name of Jesus, we ask. You know, um, it's cool. In fact, our peace ministry is putting together a cool community service. I wanted to tell you, June the 19th, they're going to be doing some cleanup in the community. And they're meeting here June the 19th at 8 a.m. on campus. If you've not met people that are involved in the peace team, this is a great way to get started. Go do some community cleanup. They're hoping to talk to some people that might be on the street and just hang out. It's going to be a great time. So just meet here June the 19th. What time? 8 a.m. And uh, make sure you check out online our events page. You'll learn all about it. Sound good? All right, grab your notes, grab your pens. We're gonna get started today because we are in the last week of a series of messages that we've called The Gospel Life. And we've been talking about how the gospel changes you. Now, let me do some quick review, okay? If you remember, right at the beginning, in the first couple of weeks, we talked about how the gospel is used in scripture in several different ways. And there are several metaphors to describe the gospel. For example, the gospel is described as a what? seed, and not just any kind of seed, but it's a seed that's imperishable. Jesus says it's this thing. And what do seeds do except seeds produce growth? They produce something. Something comes from the seed that isn't really the seed, but it's a new thing that begins to happen. And of course, the gospel is said that it's a seed, and it says that it's going to do what? It's going to bear fruit. And so the gospel has this effect both internally and externally. It's what I'd call a revolution of change in the heart of a person, affecting your behavior, affecting your thinking, affecting your acting. And so this is why, if you remember, we went to Galatians chapter 2, and I've been saying to you in the times that I've spoken, make sure during these five weeks that you're reading through the book of Galatians. If you've not done this, you need to. If you wanna know what the gospel is all about, listen to me, and how to know the difference between the gospel and religion, you go to the book of Galatians. That's the book where Paul teaches the difference between religious Judaism of his day and what the gospel really is. Now, the principles apply across the board. You pick the religion, What Paul is teaching you is how the gospel is different than a religious life. And so he says the gospel should have this effect on your life. So when Paul goes in and he sees church leaders of his day, even leaders like Peter, upon this rock, Peter, Cephas, I will build my church, Jesus said. Even Peter was not acting right. And so Paul looks at him and notice this next scripture. He says... He says, keep on going to the next one. I'm sorry, I'm skipping that one here. He says, their behavior was not what? True to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is supposed to affect a change, the way you live. So today, we've been talking about the different ways each week. Today, I want to talk to you about how it begins to break you from an old way of living or some of your old patterns. That the gospel needs to affect your present life. It's not just fire insurance for a future life. I said in the book of uh, Galatians early on, if you just look at it, right at the very beginning, this is why chapter 1 Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins, and here's the key, you ready? To what? From what? A present evil age. It should have a present work in your life, not just speak of a future work to come in eternity. That's according to the will of God our Father. Or, for example, this is why Paul writes in the book of Titus, you'll notice. He says, once we too were, notice the word were, there's been a change. We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were misled, we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, our lives were full of evil and envy. Maybe you can relate to this, I know I can. And we hated each other. Why? Because of were. It's before. But it says in verse four, but... Now, but is the most important word of this passage. It's a great big but. Would you just circle the great big but right there? He says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And he washed away our sins, giving us what? Come on. New birth. And what else? new life through the holy spirit so something is to be produced and this is why when you come to jesus christ and his holy spirit lives in you it like a seed it begins to affect a change and because it's a change you begin to bear fruit and so galatians in chapter five goes on and it says so i say live by the who the spirit the spirit is not a what the spirit is a who You have the person of the Holy Spirit living inside your life. So I say, live by the Spirit and then you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But the fruit of the Spirit are things like love and joy and peace and patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness with people. It's self-control in your life. Now God, listen to me friends. You may be here today and you are desperate for change and I'm gonna tell you right now, God's got it for you. God's got change for you because the gospel is all about change. It's not, the gospel is not a self-help book just telling you what to change. It's the power for change. And we'll see how that works out in just a few minutes. But I've got this story that I want to share with you because there is a family, a great couple that goes to our church, and they talked about how the difference of knowing Jesus, how it just altered everything. It was so powerful. I thought, i got to share this with you. Take a look at this. Watch this story.
1: My name is Irene.
2: And my name is Ernie. And we are Team
0: Zavala. Team (laughs)
1: Zavala.
2: We met at a club. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. Mm We just went our separate ways. And after five years later, we met up to another club.
1: It was weird because it was like God knew that he was going to be with me because when we met the first place, there was just something like God was telling me, you see him? He will be yours, just not now. We made it official to be together October 2006. And then we got married May
2: 2009. Our first year was... It was it was fun, loving at, at first. You're just trying to get to know each other at the time. But things started to get a little shaky. Yeah, well,
1: we, we lived together first before we got married. So it was kind of like... Getting married was just uh, cherry on top. The bad habit
2: that we were having is that we spent a lot of time not communicating.
1: My drinking started picking up a little bit more and more, so that was like a big habit that was starting to, to grow. And then I was diagnosed with mild depression because of the lack of communication, and we, we weren't talking.
2: When she told me that, I acknowledge it. Uh, this got to be fixed but uh, we didn't know how at the time, but we were able to meet up with people that were already going to church. When that happened, they were always inviting us to go to church, Mm. but she didn't want to go at the time.
1: And then I, they invited me to a ladies' night movies, and so um, I was like, okay, you know, I need a girls' night out. After it was over, you know, because they were all, majority of them were all married, and so they were just kind of sharing with me their marriage issues, but they've got God in their marriages and so it gave me hope and it was hard for me, it was hard for me to say that I needed
2: God in our marriage,
1: so I said, you know, we'll,
2: we'll go to church on Sunday, we'll, we'll give it a try. You really didn't have nothing to lose because you never got to church anyway, so it's like, okay, we'll give it a shot.
1: You know, me, I started opening up to reading the Word, which I never thought i ever would do. So I started reading God's Word, getting involved with the small groups, um, opening up more, sharing my experiences, sharing my, you know, marriage problems or personal problems, um, being more active and, and talking to people. Like I, it really brought um, me out of my shell, like in so many ways.
2: We started going to church and started getting involved in small groups. And also, show you know, just fellowship with guys that have same issues. Yeah, so now I'm more open and more just uh, less anger. The
1: Lord delivered me from the alcohol. I was an alcoholic. It was hard for me to admit that I was an alcoholic. But the more that you know, we were growing in the church and, and putting God more in our lives. God slowly started pulling the taste of alcohol away. I mean, it went from like every other day to a couple times a week, weekends, once a month, until like, boom, I mean, it was just, he literally took the taste of alcohol away. And God was telling me, if you release this out of your life, I'm gonna bless you in
2: this new part of your life. If we're gonna lead that example for our kids and show them what we can do, and not just for them, but for everyone else that sees us, you know, we want to set that good example. So we just make that commitment to not want it to stop. So God, God, you know, took everything away from us. So he made everything better for us. So.
1: Our small group, ooh, team, team marriage. Yeah, team marriage, <laughs> right. I mean, we made a commitment together at, as a group to be accountable for each other, to do to serve together and to do just life. to yeah to do life to be there for, for each other and we've had some laughs we've had some tears we've had fun and really the main focus is holding each other accountable and that is one of the greatest things that we have as a group you know when it came up for us to go to re-engage um our small group was like okay you know let's all do this together it was just a really good opportunity when it was presented to us in
2: viewing. I choose God because I believe, you know, when you put your love to God the way God loved me, that's going to help me love my wife that much more. It's still an ongoing progress. It's an everyday thing you have to have. You We're know, just waiting for Him to tell us what He wants to do.
1: Growing and learning together has been uh, such an amazing thing. We're in it to win it. And, and divorce is not an option. Knowing that we're going to make that decision to grow old together is, is really good. Wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> Gospels about change. You know, I, this is a fascinating thing in, in our culture today because modern spirituality, what I want to sort of call Oprah spirituality... <laughs> Modern spirituality believes about Christianity that it's really all about how God, how God wants to make your life more comfortable, or how God just wants to make your life happy. But every time I hear things like that, I think of what C.S. Lewis said when he says, you know, I didn't go to Christianity to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, he says, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Why? Why? Because the gospel is about change. And change is not an easy thing. The gospel is about looking yourself in the face and realizing what a sinner you are. And how you're actually more corrupt corrupt than you believe you are. You're actually more broken than you think you've been. And then it's about humbling your ego and letting God begin to do the work of you calling him Lord and Savior. That's a big thing. It's gospel-changing kind of power. Now, guys, how does the gospel begin to do that? How does the gospel begin to work that out? Now, I'm going to go through a few things. I'm going to try and clip through them as quickly as I can. You guys ready? We will be out of here by 2 o'clock. Here we go, all right? Number one, here's what the gospel does. Write this down. I'm just kidding for those of you that are guests. It'll be 3 o'clock. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Write this down. Here's what the gospel does first. The gospel begins to enlighten your perspective. In other words, it heightens, it awakens your perspective. You begin to more fully grasp God's, well, the reality of God's point of view. It's as though God becomes, comes in and begins to say to you, let me show you things that you've actually never seen before. God says to you, let me open your eyes, and it has a tremendous effect on your worldview. It has a tremendous effect on your politics. It has an effect on your value system. It does have an effect on your ego, your morality, everything. This is why the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, and I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be what? Come on. Enlightened Enlightened, in order that you'd know the hope to which he's called you. He says, there needs to be an enlightenment. And listen, there are people all over, and what they're praying for is, they think that Christianity is about this. They pray and they say, God, would you change my reality? God, would you fix this situation and fix this situation and this? And I'm telling you today, you're praying for God to change your reality, but God is more inclined not to change your reality, but to make you more aware of reality so that you can begin to change things you're doing so that you can begin to change the way that you're living now you say well why does god do it that way well because that's how you build character that's why people say oh god change this and change that and you expect god to zap you and change the situation and no that's not how it works god says I'm going to put you through tough times. I'm going to put you through trials. I'm going to put you through difficulty so that you can build the muscle that you need to have going into eternity. God says, this life is preparation for the next. Amen. And I'm trying to build something in you that will carry on. God's trying to build you. You know, people are so weird. It's as though they want God just to, just to bless them for everything and just make them happy. It's as though God's the cosmic genie and they just want to rub the lamp. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. God says that's not what your life's about. Your life's not even about you. Your life's about me and how it's supposed to bring me glory. People want. It's like people want to get fit, but they don't want to work out. You ever notice that? People buy a gym membership. Man, I'm going to start the year right. And then about June, they might step in. They go into the gym, and they look around. Whoo! all right, and they walk out, you know? Or it's like somebody that goes to the gym, and it's like they want to lose weight, or they want to, but it's like, man, it's like they never do anything. Somebody told me, he goes, man, I got up every morning for the last week, and I ran around the block 10 times, and then I kicked the block back onto the bed, and then I went to sleep, he said. (laughs) It's like we, it's like we don't want to, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to be put in a situation. I'm going to tell you, listen, you're not going to build muscle until you've been put under some resistance. You're not going to build stamina until you've pushed yourself to go a little longer than you think you can. And you say, well, I can't go any harder. I can't go any longer. You can always. Let me give you an example. You ready? Everybody ready? Say, I'm ready. All right. Reach as high as you can in the air right now. Come on, give me as high as you can. Good, good, good. I'm seeing everybody do this. All right, good. You're reaching as high as you can, right? Everybody say yes. All right, now reach a little higher. Go. See how you did that? (laughs) See how that works? And God begins to say to you, he begins to look at your reality, and he says, look, I'm going to push you, but you've got to surrender to me. And all of a sudden, the gospel, as you surrender to him, it changes your perspective of the world. It changes your perspective of your habits. It changes your life choices, your identity choices, your morality, your sex, everything, because now you're operating with a whole new bit of information. What else does it do? Write this down. The gospel remasters your allegiances. Now, what I mean by that is that you start to want to please God. And no, you're not perfect at it. None of us are perfect at pleasing God, by the way. For example, let me do a little survey. Are you ready? Who here prays enough? Can you raise your hand, please, if you pray enough? All right. Yeah, nobody. Isn't that interesting how nobody does that enough? How many of you share Jesus with people enough? Come on, show me. How many of you study the Bible enough? You notice how that works. None of us are good enough. None of us will be good enough. You're never gonna be good enough, but what you have working inside of you is the desire to be faithful. You have a desire to want to serve God. See, this is the reason people start making life choices, like going to celebrate recovery, for example. They start to say, God, I just want to serve you, and I want to get cleaned up, so I want to deal point blank with my addictions. I want to come out of the shadows. I want to really confess to people and start doing business with who I really look like. I'm not going to hide that anymore. It's why people get involved in ministries, like re-engage, because they're going to say, we're not going to pretend to have a happy marriage anymore. Or maybe we have an okay marriage, but boy, there's room for improvement, so we're going to get involved in a ministry that will meet us where we are, wherever that is. Nobody's marriage is perfect. And everybody said amen. Amen. But it's confronting that. and saying, God, help me. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When I talk about remastering your allegiances and how God does this, there is nothing that goes to a person's heart like a story. So I want to refer refer back to the one that Pastor Kyle read. And if you remember, he read a story where there was a banquet. It was a banquet in Jesus' honor because in the chapter before, if you read the story, Jesus had done the miracle of his lifetime, the most climactic miracle In his ministry, before his own resurrection, he had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so now you've got this banquet, and everybody's there, and they're excited. Lazarus is there. Martha is there. And Martha is very much in character. I mean, she is in charge. Then you've got Mary there, and there's Mary at the feet of Jesus, and she does something very, very strange in front of everybody else. In fact, what she does is absolutely unpractical. It is totally uncultural. It's odd, but it is absolutely amazing because this is what happens when Jesus begins to grip your heart. She comes in, And at first, I don't think anybody was surprised because in that culture, notice what it says, John chapter 12, it says, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Why? Because listen to me. In those days, when a big banquet came around or a big event, it was perfectly normal to get out the perfume. Why? Why? Well, because these are the years before refrigeration. These are the years before deodorant. These are the years before baths in your homes and showers and running water. And in a hot climate, you can imagine, everybody smelled bad. Everything smelled bad. There was no such thing as toothbrushes. There's no such thing as toothpaste. You can imagine people's breath in this day and age, and they were eating a lot of fish it's dirty, it's grimy, and you say right now, I know some of you were thinking, yeah, but Pastor, did they, I think they got used to it. No, 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 no. By their standards, they stank. By our standards, they stank. And so what you have to understand is it was perfectly normal on a festive occasion to get out the perfume, get out the spices, get out the scents. In fact, I'll say this, the perfumes were absolutely critical. So when you came in, They put a little dab right on your head as an ointment, and then you're enveloped in a protective shield from all of your stanky friends. (laughs) Critical, not stinky, stank. And by the way, this perfume was an incredibly expensive thing. Judas says that the perfume was worth a year's wages. In fact, every commentator that I read in preparation for today said easily this would have been the most valuable thing that they had. This bottle of perfume was their family security. If there was an army or a war that had happened, the most most security that they had was that little bottle of perfume. And you can imagine why. It represented the the plumbing of the house and what it would take to just live semi-comfortably. So what does she do with it, with Jesus? She's so enamored with him. She is so captured by him She doesn't just give Jesus a little dab. It says, notice, here we go. It says, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, I want for you to get this. She gives it all to him. Come on now. Jesus doesn't get a piece. He doesn't get a part. Jesus doesn't get a slice or a chunk. No, no, no. She gives it how much? All. And she breaks the jar. Now, friends, if you don't get this, get this. You don't give God a dab of your life. You give Jesus all of your life. And when you're willing to break the jar, and when you're willing to break the container, come on, sometimes the perfume was in a box, and when you're willing to break the box, then you know you have fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Oh, guys. She's given it all. And here's what's happening that I want for you to get. She has been so gripped by Jesus, she's saying, Jesus, for you, it is unconditional. Now, listen, there's some specific things here you got to see from the text. This is so good if you've never seen this before, because here's what she's saying. First, she's saying, I won't be conditioned by the cost. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Write that down. She says, I will not be conditioned by the cost of this thing. In other words, She's not saying, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it's not too expensive. Or, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it's manageable. No, no, no. By breaking the jar, she's saying, I'm all in. By breaking the box, it could never be used again. She's saying, it's yours. And by the way, she doesn't just break the jar. Mark tells us she breaks not just a jar again, but she breaks what kind of a jar? A alabaster jar. What does that mean? Well, if it were an alabaster jar, it means that it would have been an heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It was an important part of the family. So not only is it the most expensive thing, but it's one of the most meaningful things. And you know what she says? She says, not only will I not be conditioned by the cost, I'm giving it all to Jesus, she says, but I will not be conditioned by my past. Even the most meaningful thing, Jesus, I give to you. Sometimes there are family values that keep us out of harmony with Christ. She says, no, not in my case. I'm giving it all. Sometimes there are things that have been passed down from your family and out of affection for Jesus and love for Jesus and devotion to Jesus. This is what Jesus means when he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. For I tell you, households will be divided from one another. Father will turn against son and son against father. Brother may turn against brother. Why? Because Jesus says, in comparison to your love for me, it is as though you hate your mother. It is as though you hate your Father. Now, guys, that is radical, but that's what's happening. Can I ask you this question? I want you to think about your life right now, because only you know in your heart, and only God knows, and God actually knows better than you, what's getting in the way of a total surrender to Jesus Christ in your life right now? What is it? Could it be that you feel it's cost you too much to really walk in obedience to the master? Is it that you're so familiar with something and you may know this is disobedience, this is sin, it's crap, but it's your crap and to you, you just want to sit in it. You're like a baby that doesn't want their diaper changed. What is stopping you from surrendering your life to Jesus? I'm going to tell you something. You've got to understand Listen to me, men, women, Jesus is never going to settle for a few little drops. You don't dab Jesus. You might dab everybody else, but Jesus says, no for me, you dump the whole thing. You break the jar, you break the box. What'd she do? She doesn't just break the jar, but then it says she goes to Jesus' feet. Now, I got, you need to get this, because by going to Jesus' feet, I want for you to write this down. What she's saying is, I won't be conditioned by the cost. I won't be conditioned by my past. She's also saying, I'm not going to be conditioned by my ego. Write that down. Did you know, for example, in these days, even the slaves had rights? Now, when we think of slavery in the Bible, a lot of people who have become atheists, one of the reasons is they say, well, the Bible's all about slavery. Or in the New Testament, you see that Jesus never spoke to slavery. But I'm going to say to you, you scholars of the Bible today, that slavery in the New Testament is not like the slavery that you and I think of, by and large. No, no, no. New Testament slavery was more like employment, and I'll tell you how. How? It was because in that day, you didn't have a thing, you didn't have credit, you didn't have bank accounts, there was no such thing as loans, there was no, you know, buy now and pay later, there's nothing like that. So the system of the culture of this day, not just in the Bible, but in all ancient culture was this, when you were indebted to a debtor and you were going to lose everything and your family was going to be kicked out on the street because you're so far in debt, you became a servant or a slave to the debt holder. It was actually the most constructive way they can think of for you to pay off a debt so that you weren't kicked out into the cold. And to save your family, you would go into servitude in a New Testament culture, and you would work for a household and become their servant. But they weren't slaves like you're thinking of in the last few hundred years that we've contended with, and it wasn't this gross stuff that we talk about in our history Because even servants in the New Testament, there were some things that you wouldn't do. For example, let me read to you Jewish writing. The rabbis rightly said, I want you to remember that if you have a Jewish servant, that Jewish servant is not devoid of their rights. That Jewish servant has rights, and there are some things you cannot ask that person to do. Here's one of the things, for example. Jewish rabbis said, one of the things you must not ask them to do, don't ask any of your servants to do, is you cannot ask them to unlatch your shoes or to deal with your shoes or your feet. By the way, this is why in John 13, the disciples were so aghast when Jesus wants to wash their feet because not even the lowliest slave would do that. But here's what she's doing by choice. By choice, she's going to his feet. What does that mean? That means she's giving up every dignity, every right, every control. She's giving up total control. She's saying, I want to be a slave by choice to you, Jesus. I'm not going to be conditioned by my ego. I don't want control. She's saying, I'm giving up my rights to self-determination. And she's saying, Jesus, there is nothing that you cannot ask of me. Do you see? Now, here's the final thing she won't be conditioned by. Unconditional. She breaks the jar. What is it? Write this down. She says, I will not be conditioned by culture. I will not be conditioned by what culture tells me is okay or not okay. Why? Because if you go to Mark 14, 5, there's this amazing statement. It says, it says, and they, those around her, the the people who were sitting there, it says, and they did what? They Rebuked her harshly, and even that, by the way, this rebuked her harshly is almost a euphemism because the word for rebuked harshly, it means to bellow with anger. It means to snort like a roaring animal. Why? Because to them, what she was doing was so outrageous that the whole room was absolutely yelling at her. How does she respond? (laughs) Oh, guys. Guys, you've got, to, you've got to see this. How does she respond to culture? She starts to undo her hair. Now, can you imagine this moment? She begins to undo her hair and let her hair down. In fact, it says in Luke 7, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them, which, by the way, would have been considered a complete scandal because, you see, when a woman would unbind her hair, well, it meant a little bit like it means today, but so much more so. See, it was a way of showing intimacy. It was a way of showing openness. In fact, rabbis said, this is the way you're intimate with your partner, so here's what the rabbis said. They said, if a married woman lets down her hair in public, it's grounds for a divorce. Why? Because home is the place where you let down your hair. And you know what she's saying publicly? She's saying, Jesus, you are my home. She's saying, Jesus, I am so absolutely and completely head over heels in love for you. She doesn't care what they think. She doesn't care what Martha thinks. She doesn't care what the men think and all the women said amen. She only cares what Jesus thinks. Do you know why? Because here's what the gospel does, guys. You gotta get this. Write this down. The gospel awakens in you a deep love toward God that compares to nothing else. It's why Paul again says, "Once we were foolish, once we were disobedient, once we were misled and became slaves to lusts and pleasures." Now, it's not that these things—it's not these things weren't tempting or attractive to us. He says our lives were full, of, were full of evil and envy. We hated even each other. But there's that big but again. But when God, our Savior, revealed, enlightened his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done. By the way, it's never been about you. Do you know that? It's never going to be about you. It's only about what Jesus has done not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his spirit upon us. She's saying, listen, guys, guys, she's saying, Jesus, I'm gonna make you my deepest love. I'm gonna give you everything I am. Guys, listen to me right now you will tend to move toward whatever you fall in love with. Do you know that? We move toward that which we fall in love with. Do you know why you can't get broken from some things? Because if you're honest with yourself, you love those things. You've got to break the jars. You've got to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, my love for you is greater than my love for this. And in culture... They bellowed at her, where is your sense of proportion? Jesus looks and says, her sense of proportion is perfect. Why? Because he raises your perspective. (laughs) Because he remasters her allegiances. Because all competing loves begin to fall behind, and that's how God begins to break you from this stuff, and you break whatever jars need broken, and your goals change, and your passions change, and everything is different. The source of your identity changes. The way you deal with money is different. The way you deal with sex is different. And by the way, this is how you start to get victory in your life. By the way, this is what baptism is all about. I love this picture of baptism because, you know, we have little kids around here that they, they've reached an age where they know that they want to be surrendered to Jesus, and they call it being on God's team. The Pastor Travis and I just did this baptism, they want to be on God's team, but eventually it's really cool because every once in a while you get somebody, they turn 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, and they're like, can I be baptized again? Because they want to reaffirm as an adult, I want to be baptized on God's team. And you know what we say? We say, heck yeah, go for it. Because what is baptism symbolic of? It's not what saves you, but it's symbolic of, I've died to my old life. I'm living a new life in Jesus Christ. I'm excited because we're going to baptize people today, hopefully, in our core classes. What do our core classes teach you? Our core classes teach you how to live like this. How to walk in relationship to Jesus Christ. If you, if you haven't signed up, you can come today. We're going to have lunch together. We'll make enough for you. You know it would be cool is if we had so many people show up that we had to go order pizza. That'd be awesome. Because you start to care more about Jesus than anything else, and you start to move toward him. So, how do you get going? Ready? I'm going to give you one practical point today. This is it. This is the best advice I could ever give you. Here it is. Write this down. The most important thing I'll ever say to you is right now. You want to know how to change? Here it is. Start spending time at the feet of the master. Start spending time and giving time to the Lord. Get into God's word. I meet so many people. Pastor, I want to change. I want to change. How much time are you spending with the Lord? Well, I'm not get, I haven't gotten around to that. I'm so busy. You're so busy. How about getting busy with Jesus? How about getting busy with God? And you start sitting at the feet of the master and you say, God, begin to speak to me. And you cry out in worship and you cry out in prayer and you give time daily. You want to know how to change? That's what's going to happen because the Holy Spirit comes within you And the scripture says that the fruit of that spirit, that seed is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, they crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires, but only at the feet of Jesus. And you invite the Holy Spirit to come and live within you. And friend, listen, when you do that daily, this is why I'm always talking to you about early morning prayer, because I'm saying I'll get with you one of those days, at least one day a week to teach you how to do it, and let's worship together. Because some of you, you, don't know how to do it. You say how to, listen, I'm telling you, your pastor is coming in this room on Tuesday morning and saying, come one, come all, I'll teach you to sit at the feet of Jesus. Every Tuesday morning I do that at 6 a.m. Why, because Je- shouldn't Jesus get the first of the day anyway? Some of you guys, well that's early pastor, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. Gosh, it's like I said before, Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. It, it is ridiculous. But you'll learn how to spend time with the Lord. But even if you don't do that, do you do that? Do you worship the Lord? And the gospel will begin to work its way out of you. I love what my famous, my, uh, a famous British preacher, he's long gone now. His name is G. Campbell Morgan. He said, look, in my life, judge, not by the circumstances of the passing hour. What did he mean? He was saying, I make mistakes. I'm going to screw up. My life, I feel like it doesn't change. I want it to. He says, but don't judge me by the passing of the hour, but by the infinite things of our gospel and our God. It's the gospel that brings change. By the way, bearing fruit, it's a seed. You bear fruit. I want to remind you about fruit and how the Holy Spirit begins to do. I'm going to say this very quickly. In fact, you might write these down. How does God begin to affect change in your life? Well, I'm going to tell you the first thing God will begin to do as you sit at the feet of Jesus and break the jars that need to get broken is he'll begin to work in your life what I say naturally, naturally. In other words, it doesn't have to be forced. I've had people come to me and say, what religious things do I need to start doing to be right with God? None. You accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross is enough for you. You trust in that. You understand he was resurrected from the dead to secure your place with God, and you begin a relationship with Jesus. You sit at the feet of the Master, and what you see is naturally God will begin to produce in your life what needs to be there. Listen, I never see an apple tree struggling or sweating to produce apples. Fruit naturally comes from a healthy tree, it's organic, it's the product of being planted in the right spot. Are you planted? at the feet of Jesus. Jesus wants to work a change in your life, but it's not just naturally, write this down. It's also gradually, it's over time. In fact, I'm gonna say this to you, you may hardly ever even notice it sometimes. Do you know even for apple trees, there is winter that comes? There are seasons of the year that you'll look at a tree and you'll say, I don't see much fruit on that thing. And there are winters in your lifetime that you'll have to admit, I've not seen a whole lot. Winters do come. Some of you, you're in a winter right now, and I want to say to you, spring's on the way if you just come to the master. Some of you say, I want it now. I want it so fast. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, things with God don't always grow fast. You know what grows fast? Mushrooms grow fast. When God wants to make a mushroom, it'll take him six hours. When God wants to make an oak tree, it'll take him 60 years. The only question is, what would you rather be? you want to be a mushroom or you want to be an oak tree? God wants to make you into something. <laughs> I just say it this way to you. I know I'm taking a long time. Too bad I'm in charge. Listen, 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 listen. Some of you, it's like you want God to do his work overnight. I'm going to tell you, it took you years to become as messed up as you are makes you think you're going to get through it overnight? No. It's natural. It's gradual. But it's also powerful, if you write that down, because He works powerfully. As you sit with Him, judge not my hero, G. Campbell Morgan, judge not by the circumstances of the passing hour. Don't judge me by this morning, because it was a mess, but by the infinite things of our gospel You know, this guy, he's so cool. I even like the way he dresses. I wish I'd dress like that. He used to tell this story. He says, I was in Italy, and he says, and I passed a grave, and it was this huge marble slab, and it was over some man's grave, and an acorn had gotten in that man's, I've told you this before, it had gotten in that man's grave 600 years earlier, and out of that acorn came a shoot, and out of that shoot came a tree, now, you've all seen an acorn. You all have an acorn. Could you Grab your acorn. Just grab it. I want you to keep it. It's for you. Just to remember this little illustration. And there stood, grab that acorn, there stood G. Campbell Morgan. And he says, look, out of that acorn came a tree, and it had grown up so big, so tall, that literally that acorn had split that marble slab. Now, if I took a little bitty acorn, hold your acorn up, If you took a little acorn and you sized it up with a giant marble slab, who do you think wins? The acorn. If it's planted in the right spot. Why? Because gradually, powerfully, but also, write this down, inevitably, God begins to do his work. And I'm going to tell you that if botanical growth has the kind of power and its gradualness, what kind of power do you think the Spirit of God has to change your life over time? This is what Galatians is trying to tell you. But you've got to be planted in the right spot. You've got to put something inside you. What is the gospel? The gospel, come on, hold it up. The gospel is like a what? A seed. The gospel is like a what? Imperishable that when you plant it, if you'd live the gospel life and let God do his thing. I walked out of church one day and a guy comes up to me and he's like, Pastor, I need you to solve my marriage problem. (laughs) Every time somebody says something like that to me, it's like my jaw hits the floor. I need you to solve, I need you to fix us. I say, well, how long you've been married? They said, 15 years. (laughs) Okay. Well, how long have you had this marriage problem? 10 years. Can you give me an answer? (laughs) It's like, you've had this problem for 10 years and you think I've got a five-second answer. Are you serious? No, it's not what it's going to take. But powerfully, naturally, inevitably, if you plant yourself. Just like that acorn, God can do it. There is hope. Again, one more time. Do this for me. Hold that up real high. Hold it up. Come on. And everybody take a good look at it. Just look at that acorn. Did you know for a real acorn, this is symbolic so it won't die on you, but a real acorn, everything that's in that oak tree is already right there. Did you know that? Everything that is needed for that giant oak is already there. God says the same about your life if you just trust him. What I want to do is I want to take a minute and I want to remember that this is true only because of Jesus Christ. It says that he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. So before we're done, I want to remember Jesus. And as we've been talking about how to live the gospel life, we're going to have communion together. You all have a communion little, little cup. They're on your chairs somewhere, wherever you're at. Maybe you're at home and you could just grab, you know, grab some uh, donut and some coffee whatever you've got. Something for the body and the blood. And we're going to remember, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have changed lives. You just pour the little plastic off there, and then you, then you get the little, little wafer. It doesn't taste good, but it's the meaning that matters. Endure it for the sake of Jesus. Pull that back and get ready. Because here's what the scripture says. Notice this, 1 Corinthians Paul writes and says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Whenever you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for your broken body, that it's only because of your sacrifice on the cross that we could know the gospel or certainly live a gospel life that changes everything. Help us, God. Thank you for your broken body. Let's eat together. Scripture says, in the same way, he took a cup also after supper, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he co- comes. And guess what, guys? He is coming. Amen. He is coming. Father, thank you for your shed blood that cleanses from your sin. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We're so messed up. Let's drink together. Can we have a moment of worship, a holy moment?